Duck a duck a cried out. If you've never heard that before, it's music to a book many kids love called The Polar Express. Our guest today wrote that music and many other pieces for kids and adults. Rob Capolo joins us today to talk about listening to music, creating it, and understanding why great music sounds, well, great. We also welcome the students of Long Branch Elementary School in Arlington, Virginia. We're sure they have questions for Rob Capolo, but we want to hear your questions too, but only if you're a kid. Adults are welcome to listen, but on Kojo for Kids, for kids, it's kid callers only. Rob Capolo is a conductor and composer who writes music for adults and children, including one choral symphony about Washington, D.C. Rob, great to talk to you again. It's so great to talk to you again, Kojo. <laughs> it's absolutely... It's been a while. It has been a while. We'll, we'll get to the music in just a minute, but first tell us, Rob, what was it like when you were a kid? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Well, I, I was actually born in New York City, but then quickly moved to Alaska, though I have very little memory of it, and then grew up sort of outside of New York City in a little suburb of New York and started music at a really young age. How young? Well, when I was four years old, my mother played the piano all the time, and she was a terrible piano player. And so I vowed I would kick her off the piano as soon as possible. And so I really started the piano at four to try to get my mother to stop playing. And either sadly or gladly, I was a complete success. So I started playing the piano when I was about four years old and then progressed to a bunch of other instruments and played violin and flute and electric guitar and grew my hair down to my shoulders and played in rock bands and did everything I possibly could to get in trouble musically in as many different kinds of ways as I could think of. Did you ever actually tell your mother that she was a terrible piano player? <laughs> no, I just thought <laughs> I just thought if I just went and sort of gave her an example of what it should sound like, that she would get the message. You know, she used to just play this horrible version of Basin Street Blues, and it's still in my head to this very this very clunky. And I just, you know, somehow I just couldn't bear it. So even at the age of four, I just made the, the executive decision. <laughs> I knew you'd reproduce it for us. You have, said, <laughs> you have said that you were really bored with the music that your teachers gave you when you were a kid. Can it's you give true. us an example of what did they make you play and what might have been a more creative yeah. way of teaching you? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, everybody knows this tune, right? Um <laughs> I mean, everyone knows it. So the way they would give yes. it to you when you're about five years old is with this really boring accompaniment, sort of like this. I mean, that's just unbearable. So the first <laughs> thing I would do is I would try to put like some more interesting chords. So maybe I would make it spooky like this. Or then I might just take a little part of it. I might take the, the My Fair Lady and speed it up and make it, then decorate it, then play with the London Bridges falling down and do it fast. <laughs> do it in a different key. Put it up here, just do the London Bridge part. Then make some different accompaniments. Play around here. change the ending and suddenly it was my music and not somebody else's music so that's the kind of thing i used to do and get in trouble with 
I wouldn't recognize Rob Capello if he didn't have his keyboard with him. Uh, <laughs> how, how did you get more into music as you got older? Did you learn to play other instruments? Did you play in a band? Yeah, I did everything. First of all, you know, nowadays, each kind of music is in its own little box. You know, classical music is you wear certain kind of clothes and like certain kind of people. And jazz is a whole different thing. And you talk differently and wear different clothes and don't talk to the people who like classical music. But to me, it was just all music. I didn't really know there was anything different. You know, Duke Ellington, one of my favorite quotes, he says, there's only two kinds of music, good music and the other kind. <laughs> and that's really how I felt. So I played jazz and Downbeat Magazine was my favorite stuff. And, you know, I... But then another week I would be playing Beethoven symphonies, you know, or, or Beethoven. So I did everything. I played in orchestras. I played jazz and trios. I played in a rock band. And to me, it was just all music. Only much later did I learn that, you know, you were not supposed to associate with the people from the other side of the aisle. But uh, <laughs> to me, it was just all music. And I played everywhere. I played chamber music. I played in orchestras. I played in rock bands. I played in jazz trios. You know, I played co later, later when I was a you know, late teenager or early college, I would play, you know, in bars and play cocktail music. <laughs> was just all music you know now i've learned that of course each one is its own separate thing play it again sam 804 <laughs> 804-338850 is the number to call we're talking with rob capillo he's a conductor and composer who writes music for adults and children and we're talking with a lot of young people who are from long branch elementary school in arlington i know many of you have called already just hold on so i can sneak in a few more questions with rob and then it'll be your turn rob you're a conductor composer and an author let's start with the conducting part what does a conductor do to many of us, it looks like somebody who's just waving their arms around a lot. But we know it has to be more than that. No, that is pretty much what it is. Mostly you wave <laughs> your arms and take credit and bow at the end as if you're the one who made all the notes. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I, I always think, you know, a conductor's a little bit like a, a manager in baseball in the same sort of way people have no idea what they do either. I mean, your job is to really, in my opinion, just bring out the best in people, is to make people want to play. Because in a way, of course, you're the only person on stage not making a sound. But your job is to sort of give them the overall vision and allow them to hear each other. Because, you know, it's interesting. Most people think, I've been very fortunate to conduct some of the best orchestras in the world, your orchestra, the National Symphony at the Kennedy Center, you know, great orchestra, Chicago Symphony, Cleveland Orchestra, but also some of the much lower ranked orchestras. And people often think that the best orchestras are the ones that have the best players. But mm -hmm. the real difference between the really great orchestras is not so much that they play better, but that they listen better. You know, when you stand in front of a really great orchestra like Cleveland Orchestra, the National Symphony, what's amazing is a double bass player on the far end of the stage is acutely, sensitively listening to everything that happens on the opposite side of the stage. And what really actually keeps an orchestra together is not the guy waving his hand, but it's that he's allowed them all to listen to each other. And there's a kind of a magic that happens when everybody is acutely, sensitively listening to each other. And your job is to just shape what's already out there, is to take the people who are out there and bring out the best of them and create a kind of environment for listening. And that's to me is what I think of as the job of the conductor is to create an environment for listening in which each person is listening to each other. And then you're creating the overall shape of how the piece goes. 
Okay, one more before I go to the phones. You're also a sure. composer, which means that you create music. When mm -hmm. did you first start composing and what kind of music do you write? Well, as I say, the first time I started composing was doing just what you heard, was just taking the pieces that they gave me and saying, this is a little boring, can I make it my own? And by the way, for kids who are studying music, that's my first and biggest suggestion. And it's really the suggestion for my kids as well. You know, when my kids started playing music, they took the same kind of piano lessons that I did, and they were just as bored as I was. But then I found them a teacher who was actually a composer as well. And it was as soon as they started composing that they actually got interested in music. And now my son actually teaches people music. And from the very first day when they start piano lessons with him, they start composing. Even if it's just pounding on your keys and you're making something about space invaders, make your own kind of music. So that's how I started. But then I really was going to be a conductor long before I was going to be a composer. But then actually, well, I don't know if you have the time for this story. I'll, a quick story. Sure. So at first, at first, I was just going to be a conductor. My mother's hero was Leonard Bernstein. There was a picture of him in every single room of our house. He was a really famous conductor. And all my mother wanted me to do was grow up to be Leonard Bernstein if I wasn't going to be a famous rich lawyer. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then so I was teaching someone conducting from the University of Scranton. At the time, I was really focusing on conducting. I was very lucky to get a job conducting the Yale Symphony Orchestra at the age of 24 and teaching at Yale. And I was going to be the conductor of the New York Philharmonic, just like my mother always wanted. And then a friend of mine wanted me to come down and guest conduct there, but they only had money for someone to compose a piece and then come down and conduct. And she said, I know you're mostly a conductor, but would you like to compose a piece of music for us? And then you could bring you down here. And I said, well, I haven't been doing too much of that recently, but sure, I'd love to do it. And so I composed a piece for 75 wind instruments. And the next thing I know, I was a composer. <laughs> and, uh, but I had always been writing all my life. I had been writing songs. I had been writing pop songs. I had been writing all kinds of music forever. But I had been focusing on uh, conducting until that time. Yeah, well, you thought you were a composer. But when your son was very young, you told him, <laughs> you, told him you were a composer. And he told you, no way. It's impossible. Why? Yeah. It's true, but my son was seven. Uh, you know, but then I had been writing some pieces for adults, and I'd really been focusing on adults. And my son came home from school from music class, and he says, Daddy, Daddy, you can't be a composer. You're not dead. <laughs> and that really changed my whole thought and my whole thinking about composing, because I realized, you know, to most people and to most kids, composers are dead, you know, at least if it's a classical composer. And so I decided I had to really start writing some music for kids, not just because I thought it would be important for them to hear music really written for them, because I wanted to be on stage so that kids would see, well, here's a composer and he's actually alive. <laughs> so when I actually do do concerts for families, I make it a point or for kids of staying on stage for half an hour afterwards so kids can just come up and talk to me. And so they can see that, well, a composer isn't actually dead. And I did this one concert. Well, one of the first pieces I wrote after my son said that to me was Green Eggs and Ham, because mm -hmm. I realized, you know, if I could set Green Eggs and Ham to music, a book that everybody knows, they could really see how powerful music is, because everybody knows Sam I Am, I Am mm -hmm. Sam, mm -hmm. but almost no one had ever heard it set to music. And so once I started writing that piece, you know, I, it was a fantastic way to talk to kids about composing and music. And I put it together on the same concert with a piece by Mozart called Ein Kleine Nacht Music. And we put the whole concert together as Green Eggs and Hamadeus. And suddenly you, you could see that, you know, a composer like Mozart, who was dead, is on the same program as music by this guy, Rob, who you're talking to at the edge of the stage. And so that was my long-winded answer to my son who said, you can't be a composer, you're not dead. 
After all, you're not Mozart, you're not Ellington, you're not Beethoven. You're actually still alive. So still alive and right here. <laughs> so let's and, go. And not only that, but you could be the audience hearing this piece maybe for the first time. Let's start with 10-year-old Annie, who's a student at Long Branch Elementary School. Annie, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Hi, hey. Annie. Hi. Go right ahead, Annie. Um, so my question was, does your music that you write, does it invoke strong emotions in you? You know, that's one of the great things about both writing music and also conducting music is you get to have every kind of emotion that maybe you wouldn't have in real life. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons why people love both playing music and listening to music. You know, when I'm a conductor, I might be a kind of a boring person, but when I have all this music inside me, I get to be all those people. I get to be Beethoven. I get to be incredibly stern. I get to be incredibly... You get to be all those people. And when you get to write music, everything that you feel inside, you get to put in your music. You know, I, I don't know if you kids were listening to the program that uh, that Koja was doing right before this, but it was amazingly connected to what I'm doing right now. It was a book about home. Uh, and I'm literally writing a piece of music now about the immigrant experience to America. And the title of the movement I'm working on right now is Home Was Until It Wasn't. And wow. so it gives you the opportunity to literally express those feelings that you have inside you. So you know, when you write a chord, when you write a chord like this, or a chord like this, these chords are everything you feel inside. So I think one of the great things about being a composer is it allows you to take those things that you feel inside that you might not have any other place to put them in, and you get to put them into music. So that's a real thrill for me. Annie, thank you very much for your call. Here now is 10-year-old Jackson, also at Long Branch Elementary School. Jackson, it's your turn. Go ahead, please. Hello, my name is Jackson. I'm, I'm 10 years old, and, I'm, and I go to Long Branch Elementary, and I'm in fourth grade. My question is, do you use any music apps to help make music? If so... Which one do you recommend besides GarageBand? Aha. <laughs> well, which ones do you use? GarageBand. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I use GarageBand a lot myself. Um, if I had known you were going to ask that question, I would have turned to my other computer and show you some of the stuff I've got on GarageBand. Um, but yes, I would say I use GarageBand to demonstrate and in fact, I'm writing a new piece now that I actually, well, maybe afterwards I can put this up on your website. I'll put up a little garage band simulation of some things to show you. I use that. Also, I use Finale, which is a music notation program, because what you can do there is it's sort of like a musical typewriter. You can put notes and play notes on your keyboard and they show up and they become notation. So I use Finale a lot for my pieces. And when I send them to my publisher, I send them a, a computer version of them. So those are the two that I use. You could also use a fancier version of GarageBand is Audacity or Logic. And those are good ones to use as well. And if you have a little bit more money and you're into engineering, Pro Tools is something that you could use. But I will say this, though I use those apps, for me, fundamentally, I still write music with a pencil. 
and I still like playing at an actual keyboard itself and making the sounds myself. So I do use all those apps, but at heart, still making music for me is just like it was for Mozart. It's with a pencil, a piece of paper, and a keyboard, and I actually love writing it by hand, even though I usually turn it in through the computer. But there's something wonderful about just a pencil and a piece of paper, and you're linked hundreds of years of history and other composers doing the same thing. So I use all the modern ones, but I still like that pencil. Jackson, thank you very much for your call. Rob Eleanor Gold, a third grader at Long Branch Elementary, wants to know, what is your favorite type of music and why? Mine is bluegrass because I like the rhythm of it and it makes me want to dance. I'm learning to play bluegrass on my fiddle. I also like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> well, well, you know, one thing is my favorite kind of music, and, you know, it changes at different times. You know, there's certain different times of the day, certain different things you're feeling that make you want to listen to music. So, you know, there's a kind of music you might want to listen to if you're just sort of cooking or cleaning around the house. But then if something sort of sad happens to you, there might be a different kind of music that you want to listen to. So to me, I don't really make boundaries. To me, I, you know, that Duke Ellington quote, there's only two kinds of music, good music and the other kind. I mean, to me, I listen to all kinds of music and it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in at that time. Certain times it's jazz, certain times it might be pop, certain times it might be classical. So to me, all musics are good. The only thing that matters is it a good version. You know, when I first met Kojo, I was writing a piece with a rapper in Washington, D.C. Yep. And at the time, I really wasn't interested that much in rap. It just didn't really grab me. And the person who was doing this piece with me, I asked him for a mixtape. And he gave me this fantastic mixtape of all these different rappers. And you realize that it, in every kind of music, there's good music and the other kind. So to me, I'm open to all kinds of music. And when I write my music, I have all kinds of music in the music I write. I mean, there's classical music, there's blues, there's jazz. I mean, to me, it's just all music. And I think the boundaries we make between kinds of music and kinds of people only get in the way between the connections that are really there. You also just answered nine-year-old Lucy of Long Branch Elementary's question who wanted to know what kinds of music do you like to write best? You seem to be saying all kinds. Yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to come out. Uh, you know, today, I'm, as, as I'm saying, I'm writing that piece, you know, Home Was Until It Wasn't, and there's... That's today's music. But then there's other kinds of music a different day, and sometimes it's jazzy. You know, in Green Eggs and Ham. So there's every kind of music. To me, it's just all the sound universes available. And one of the wonderful things about music today is that you really have access to everything. Here now is eight-year-old Noah at Long Branch Elementary. Noah, your turn. Um... Hello, Mr. Capilla. Hello. What do, you, um, what do animals think about music? What do animals think about music? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a dog that really barks a lot. And he barks whenever he thinks there's somebody outside or something outside that he doesn't want to be there. And so oftentimes I try to use the keyboard to quiet him down. And if I play just a certain kind of music, I can actually get him to be quiet. It's hard to know. You know, a lot of people think that dogs like Mozart, but I think, you know, like everything else, different dogs and different animals like different things. But I did once write a piece, a whole concert about, about animals and music as well. Um, and there's a piece I actually did at the Kennedy Center called, And Furthermore, They Bite. <laughs> and it's based on a, uh, on a poem that goes, Always be kind to animals, morning, noon, and night. For animals have feelings, too. 
and furthermore, they bite. <laughs> Noah, thank you very much for your call. <laughs> but Nine... I'll also say, oh, one other thing. Um, mm-hmm. I will say lots of composers take the sounds of animals and turn that into music. And that's that's a whole other topic as well. But the sounds that animals make are a fantastic source of music. That's the thing for composer. Anything out there is a possibility. That's the great thing about composing. Here are seven-year-old twins, Dylan and Neam from Long Branch Elementary. They have, I think, a comment. Dylan, Neam, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Go right ahead. <laughs> So my question was, how do you feel like when you write music? How do I feel? Well, yep. that de- that depends a little on how well it's going. There are some days <laughs> where it feels really awful, where I just get stuck. I'm sure you've had that experience in school as well, where it's just not going well and you just can't come up with an idea. But then every once in a while, something happens and you get an idea and it just absolutely flows and when it just comes to you like when i heard when um, i'm writing this piece now i was just saying home was until it wasn't and when i heard that word home was until it wasn't instantly like this idea home was until it wasn't home was until it wasn't when you get an idea and it just comes to you right away and the feeling just is there and the notes are just there it's one of the most fantastic feelings in the world um when it isn't, it's one of the most frustrating and horrible experiences in the world. So you have to you have to ask me that question at different times of the day. But I will say that moment when you just have a line of, of, of poetry that you're sending to music and it just comes to you right away is one of the most fantastic, thrilling moments you could possibly have. And here's nine-year-old Naya and eight-year-old Devon in Virginia. Naya and Devon, are you there? Hi there, can you hear me? Hi there, Devon, you there? Naya, you there? Ah, they seem to have left the building. Uh, Nine-year-old Jordan from Oak Ridge Elementary. Oh, here they are. Dylan and and Niam, are you there? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Wrong wrong lines, wrong lines, wrong lines. Al Ryan from Long Beach Elementary wants to know how you became a good musician. We only have about a minute and a half left. Okay, well, I will tell you this. I was an undergraduate at Yale, and I had taken all the required courses, and I just somehow felt... I was missing. There was more to learn. And so there's famous woman in Paris. Her name was Nadia Boulanger. And to my parents' horror, I dropped out of college. I flew to France to study with this woman named Nadia Boulanger, who taught all these famous composers like Stravinsky and Copeland and Bernstein. And I dropped out of school and I lived on almost no money with just a mattress on the floor in Paris (laughs) for two years. And she was the most fantastic teacher in the world. And everything that I do to this very day is due to the incredible teaching, which was brutally difficult and painful and painful. But all the te- everything that I learned from Nadia Boulanger is how I became a good musician. She trained me the way Mozart and Beethoven were trained hundreds of years ago in a way that's almost impossible to really study these days. And, um, but it was the two years in Paris that made me the musician I am afraid today. that's all the time we have. Rob Capello, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Today's segment on on the 
poet Safia Heller was produced by Julie Deppenbach. And our Kojo for Kids segment with the amazing Rob Capital was produced by Lauren Marco. Coming up tomorrow, CNN anchor and senior political correspondent Abby Phillip joins us. Plus, ever thought about monetizing your hobby? Whether it's illustrating, baking, or balloon twisting, we'll talk about the joys and challenges of making money from your passion. That all starts tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nambi. The Kojo Nambi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Granin, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardinier, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Renike. Our managing producer is Ingelisa Schrobsdorf. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Mike Kidd. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show. And if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the donate button and thanks.